This will be an exciting conversation, uh, very stimulating, and we are wondering if Paul Thomas Anderson has to look over both shoulders because oh. there might be somebody marching forward. Doubt um, it. <laughs> that said, that said, then I'll I'll turn it over to. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. I have to guess. Aaron. Aaron is. Uh, I gave it away. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'll say uh, Yoshi is. I'll uh, see. I'll say Aaron is at a seven, flat seven. I will put uh, Chris, uh, very skeptical, seven five. Yoshi is at uh, nine point one, and uh, I will reveal mine. Whoa! Masterpiece from Paul, a nine point three. Woo! Bold. Bold. Okay. I'm up, and Yosh, I'm sorry, Paul, you were a bit off. Yosh gave it, I know, a bit of a surprise guy. Bit of a surprise. Uh, 7.6 from me. Uh, Chris gives it an 8.4. 8.4, wow. Yeah. And Aaron gives it a Hieronymus. <laughs> Hieronymus. Hieronymus? Hieronymus? You mean... Hegemony. 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 Oh wow, guys. Yeah. For all of that um, Tarkovsky talk, I think I probably surprised you guys. Yeah, you yeah. did. Wow. Wow. I thought we were like a leader. leader. Yeah, I thought it was going to be uh, Yoshi and I against Chris and Aaron on this one. I thought. All right. The final score for Ivan's Childhood. 8.2. 8.2. Chris is the closest. Ooh, Chris point for a, oh, did we right, do that yeah. for Embrace of the Serpent? Uh, no, but I can. So me, me, Aaron, and Chris all have a point. No, no, me, right. Paul, and Chris. I don't know. <laughs> I'm we done. all get a point. Thus. I'm done. Um, done. Yeah. So uh, Ivan's Childhood. Um, this is Tarkovsky's first film coming right out of school, um, and wow. as as a big fan of Tarkovsky as I am, um, I typically bring films to the show that I have not seen. And this is one of the only ones I had not seen by him. I think there's maybe only one other one I haven't seen now. Um, and so I wanted to bring this film. Um, and yeah, again, it's his first film. And uh, right off the bat, I'll just say that I think he was really, I mean, this it's, it's ironic that we in the same show had this film and Ida because both black and white, both way different time periods, but in my opinion, they both suffered from the exact same um, dilemma, which is it's just a director finding his footing, finding his poetry, finding his feel. Um, and I think that this film, uh, if we're going to go in the context of film history, there's a lot uh, to be impressed with. I think that Tarkovsky is the pioneer of dream sequences not that nobody tried it before him but he certainly brought it to a new level which led to inspiring many many directors and i think that this film particularly tore a huge hole open in the poetic cinema um i think that he is a massive pioneer in this sense but ultimately i think that this just felt like a director trying to be stylish and uh and finding ingenious ways to do it successfully um but ultimately 
the story suffered um, and the, the whole structure of basing a film off of four separate dream sequences just didn't work for me. Um, as, as cool as those sequences are, as ingenious as the camera work is and as poetic as it feels, um, ultimately this film felt half-hearted to me. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Cause uh, I think that, that what I thought was the, I think the movies, <laughs> the movies lyricism is what did it for me. And, and I, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm uh, taken on a journey. I guess what I found refreshing about it. Um, it was interesting. Cause I, 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 as I went through the entire movie, then I got to the Wehrmacht at the end and I thought, oh, I'm like, Oh, okay. Got it. Do we have to see the death houses? Yep. Yep. They've been referenced. So we're going to see them. Okay. Eh. I also know that Tarkovsky probably wasn't uh, like he would have redone moments of this movie. Um, and I probably could identify a few of those, but the fact that I was uh, taken somewhere um, and just felt breathless at times uh, it, this was very effective for me. Um, I, um, Probably there is an incompleteness to it, but I just found it just joyful to watch. Um, and it, the, uh, what's Victor Burylev, Burylev, um, Nikolai rather, uh, Burylev, um, was, was just absolute, uh, marvel to watch. And, uh, yeah, this, the kid. Uh, yeah, this is the kid, the little, uh, Ivan Bondarov, Bondarev, um, yeah, it was uh, was stirring. It was very stirring. I guess I have a soft spot for, you know, our uh, child protagonists. Uh, when you, to me, this had, uh, you know, we go back to back to those times. We look at, uh, you know, the, read about the American novel and the picaresque novel and the buildings Roman and all those really cool fancy words that are thrown out in critical reviews of of books that we love, like Catcher in the Rye, whatnot. Um, that's what this was. This was, uh, we're following our little mouse around, uh, uh, the, you know, through the ravages of war and uh, a life that he proudly endured, you know, which was, uh, which is extraordinary because uh, we, you know, you have Yoshi really, really gotten us up on Tarkovsky and I, <laughs> and I, and it's interesting because I can, I probably foreseeably, I just first blush, I can see that some of the later works which you probably would deem more mature and masterly, I can see like, oh, okay, I see where there's an innocence in me which was affected by this movie deeply. And I love any movie through the eyes of a child, you know, the, especially these war ravages, uh, middle to Eastern Europe, Western Asia, this history, whether it's, you know, we're watching Tin Drum or the next great Polish Hungarian director who's got another take on yet uh, the, the the shock and and uh, horror of uh, of Nazi Germany. Somehow, when it's done through a child, I don't sentimentalize sentimentalize it at all. It is uh, even more profound for me. And interestingly, because I think the knock against this, you it at at time felt like we were bringing a play to life, you know, there, you know, probably at a, in a more modern time with a fuller budget uh, there, obviously we would see and feel a war going on, but the fact that there was some, this implication 
of war and how anything could turn at any moment, a dead body here, uh, an aside here. I got the impression like they were on the front line, that they were scouts, that I was taken there. I was, uh, I was sucked in and it uh, was deeply moving for me. Yeah, I think the theme, I'll let you take it in a second, Chris. I think the theme of this episode is sort of like, uh, all right, 2021, we have no idea what's going to happen this year because everything's kind of flipped on its head. I mean, when Yoshi is being critical of a Tarkovsky film in the first episode of the year, we know that uh, we had no idea what's coming because, uh, yeah, I expected to, you know, I brought the film in and I've talked a lot about Tarkovsky, but I have to be honest, I didn't like the film too much, you know, and, and I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to give it a high rating just because I'm a big fan of the director. Um, I think that um, it's interesting that Ida also had, both of these films were like, you know, dealing with Nazi themes um so it is cool that they both were were in the show but i think it's the same it was the same experience watching that film where like you know beautiful imagery but for me personally um imagery isn't enough like the the imagery needs to be earned mm -hmm. and these beautiful portraits that tarkovsky made in this film weren't really earned for me yeah like look at that shot that aaron put behind shot. him right it's there fucking, it's a incredible yeah Incredible, but where and, is the emotional connection? Exactly, exactly. You know? And uh, as Aaron and I are on, on the same page in this episode. Because let me jump in here. Let me bash this film yeah, a little. Let's go. Let's go. All right, all right. Wonderful dream sequences, but ultimately, like Josh said, you know, this is this is cool camera mo movements without emotion, and yeah. to me, the character development's not there. And although I think this young boy this little man did a wonderful job acting i just um i i had trouble with all the other characters i mean this kid was acting over i mean acting circles around some of the adults around you know um the, it's just it's a difficult movie i i i turn back to a movie we've seen 400 blows where it is all about that child and we follow his life and to me, 400 yeah. Blows is just a better movie, like all around. Because it's all about the child. It's not all about the director. Yeah, exactly. So this was all about, let's let's show these cool environments. We've got all these great sets and explosions and smokes and cool swamps and rivers. And like, let's just get all these epic, legendary shots, like the one behind Josh, you know? But it doesn't have the emotion, emotional pull or character development like the Virgin Spring behind Josh. Even though I didn't care for the film, it still had character <laughs> development. This had Big a time. lack of character development. This was more a director taking mm -hmm. us on a how-to, a how-to video. How to get a wonderful shot like this. But, but I am just on a ride and I'm not empathetic to what is happening in the story although it is horrific i did not feel emotionally invested and that's a shame because the circumstances are dire and dramatic and horrific and yet he didn't let us go there he didn't and maybe it's a language barrier thing we don't speak the language maybe, maybe in in that language thing. These words and, and, and this connection to history, 
really connect to a soul level when you're listening and you know this language and it's just like wow you you guys missed the mark because you're just reading the dialogue but in that language this is poetry and that is where i think i miss the movie i don't speak this language and i think that's a barrier that got put between me and this film and that's unfortunate because look at these shots they're they're phenomenal but i i as a english speaker could not relate to this this dialogue i was reading or the acting really i don't know in all in all fairness you know like this is the first war film of its kind it's the first uh war film to focus on the poetry of the loss of innocence of a child through his dreams um so it's novel and i and i have no qualm with the film because again this was you know for uh, a communist soviet union for a direct coming out of that for a director to make a film like this where he's you know taking cinema and punching a hole through it and creating an entire new way of making stories you know this is just a step towards being that master and so i take no qualm with the film but um I will say that uh, Vadim Yusov, the DP of this film, um, who would be the DP of the first three Tarkovsky films, is a genius. And Paul and I spoke privately about maybe we should do a greatest of all time director of photography episode on the show Ooh. where we bring in different DPs and have them battle it off. Or maybe we even do DP episodes where we have one DP but three different directors. Um, and so we can kind of explore their work a little bit. Um, and then uh, I will just end with this saying that uh, Tarkovsky ended up his career ended his career with using Sven Nikvist, which was famously Ingmar Bergman's DP. So Ingmar and Tarkovsky, who are masters in their own right, shared a DP for 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 a bit of time. And I would say that to correlate to our Aaron's argument of character development, I think that. Uh, Tarkovsky's shortcomings ultimately are Bergman's strengths, where Bergman focus he focuses heavily on the acting, heavily on the actors, heavily on the performance, heavily on character development, where Tarkovsky, I think, is a little bit more minded in camera movement and poetic transitions and poetic storytelling. Um, and I really look forward to bringing more Tarkovsky on the show so I can show you guys some stuff that I personally think are masterpieces by him. Chris, what was your experience watching this film, giving it a 8.4, was it? Mm -hmm. 8.4. Yeah. First off, I want to say that you're all correct, but you're all correct in the wrong way, I, in my Ooh. opinion. I think this movie suffers from an external force. I, I don't know whether that's Tarkovsky himself not being able to focus on what he wanted to focus on because of the, the time period that he was living in in the Soviet Union. Because as you might have caught in the beginning credits, they had a military advisor. So a lot of things that Tarkovsky might have wanted to do and you know, showing the horrors of war and showing what the actual Soviet Union did during this time might have gotten cut. We do fe feature a officer almost raping a woman, uh, which probably wouldn't have flied because you wouldn't, you could not paint an officer of the Red Army in a bad light in that time. You had a lot of scrutiny from people. It wasn't, you know, they had some the state vibes. is always great. But like, I can, I can see the bare bones of this and it, it does suffer from a lack of focus. I do think if we focus on the lieutenant rather than Ivan uh, throughout the entire movie and Ivan is a character and can impact the story in his own way, then it makes it stronger. 
But I do think this movie does have a good structure to it and does have a good character development throughout. The focus is where I think is where it, it, it truly loses it because we go into the woods with the with Masha and uh, I think it's it's not Colin. Oh, no, no, it is Colin. Yeah, it is Colin and Masha as is uh, Aaron has right behind him where he tries to put the moves on her and she's like, no, I'm not really into it. And then he forces himself upon her and then she walks away. Um, I, I didn't need to see that. Like I, I could have just saw, you know, the Lieutenant yeah. walking up. What did that scene and, have to anything to do with anything? Exactly. Like, they just and, wanted and that, a pretty and, shot. Exactly. And that shot right there Aaron, could go down as the best shot of all time. If it yeah. was nestled in a good story and if it was deserved, but it was like the scene existed for the shot. Yeah. That exactly. was my problem with. Yeah. The it's scene a- was written for the shot. And it has to go the other way around. The shot has to come as a side effect of the scene. And it feels like they were there just to make this shot. So, so it's like, it's like songs from a second floor without the story because they're just trying to find like cool imagery. And, and, and that was my problem with the film. Um, and, and to answer your, some of your inquiries, Chris, cause I've read Tarkovsky's book sculpting in time. So I kind of know the story behind this, this film was already in production when Tarkovsky took over. It was the very beginnings of production. It was mostly casted. It was already in full-fledged, but something happened with the director, and he had to get it out, and they were desperate to find another director. Tarkovsky was coming off of his senior thesis, um, and he jumped right in. So partially, maybe, you're right, some of the factors of the film were maybe not what he wanted to do, but also this film is based off of a novel, and so there, so he's actually limited by that story as well. But differing, differing from the novel, he took it from from the novel to a poetic dimension. So these dream sequences were not the novel. So that's all him. And every time, and I think uh, he wanted maybe one or two more dream sequences, and and they were shunned by the people watching over his shoulder. So so you are right to a degree that he wanted to keep, make it even more poetic and dreamy. Mm-hmm than it already was, which I can't even imagine it being more in that realm. Um, but he might have been limited slightly, to answer your question. I just, I want to see a person like Tarkovsky now. Like, having that, like, level of, of focus and trying to make everything beautiful, but, like, because you could tell that like, he definitely had, e- even today, like, I've never seen shots like like the one Aaron has behind him. I never seen the the tracking shot with the uh the apple truck in the dream sequence where everything oh, in the reverse crazy. is in negative like yeah. bananas i would love to see to more that. of that first ever to do that yeah and like i would i would i wish we could just like give him an iphone and be like use this <laughs> like <laughs> what he would come up with well i will wait till you see uh the next film i'm bringing in by him which is called stalker and uh and, and it's a video it, game um, based off of it Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm glad that we've at least dipped our toes in him now because uh, if if you like these ingenious uh, camera movements that impressed you, Chris, wait till you see his later work because wow, he got better and better every film, and uh, some of these films are 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 unbelievable. Um, the dream sequences. Which one was your favorite, guys, of the four? First, the intro. I thought the beginning of the movie was phenomenal. 100%. And 
the shake we got out of that dream was like waking from a dream. I was like, whoa, what just happened? It was cuckoo. And it, you were just like, and then he stumbles out of the, the broken windmill and you're like, oh, shit. Like he was yeah. such a happy little boy and he had his mother and it was golden. It was black and white, but it felt like this golden, beautiful green scene. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, clunk, clunk. Oh shit, we're in war. Like we are in a worn, torn country and it is just horrific. And it's like, oh, I was in. I was so excited for this film right off the 10 minute mark. I was just Same. like, oh man this is now this is what i'm talking about this is some some business this is about to be like a lost episode but <laughs> then we just got lost into these dialogue scenes and in, in the uh bunker that they were staying in you know with all the office yeah that's where the the movie died for me was in the bunker yeah it yeah, was no, like I can, yeah. uh, music and some like uh punishment and a lot of like man pc today they would never have a naked boy on a movie you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there were some some things in the film that would never even fly today unfortunately in the movie well no he was, yeah the backside naked when he was about to yeah. take a bath and i was thinking like man what's, there's no so way what's up was... with you and naked naked kids dude it's they're kids it's dude I'm, I'm just yeah. saying that like there are <laughs> scenes in this film that could never pass uh production studios uh-huh. today PC. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. Like, little kids are allowed to be naked in, in movies, like from the from the behind. I mean, you you saw, anyways. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's not get lost in a he naked really kid. Conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Paul, we'll move on from that. Oh. Yeah. No. I, I. I. with Aaron. I. That's where I was. Uh, I was definitely on board from the jump, and that's where I stayed. Uh, that's where I stayed. The the little boy in me just adored this. Uh, the way he could perhaps suppress the loss of his mother and and allow us all to find uh, solace in these dream sequences. I don't disagree with you guys about the moments with the officers uh, at times seemed a little hammy and probably he'd restage a lot of that. But uh, what sort of trumped all that for me is I was still following a boy who was... Uh, you know, certainly underweight, you know, just manifesting all the ravages of war. Um, and I just, I saw his sorrow and his loss and I loved his uh, patriotism, uh, his, his love for being on the front line, how he wanted to be a soldier. It was like he became that uh, manly presence that was lacking maybe in some of the other characters of the film. Like, you know, the, Mm -hmm. you know, you ask like why, you know, we have these sort of salacious rapes or quasi rapes in the, in the story. It's like, well, you know, yeah, we're that part is left in the hands of children. Yet these men have the honor enough to risk their lives to go across a river and get, you know, fallen dead comrades off of uh, a tree branch and, uh, and, and sort of bring them home. Um, you know, it, it, it's the, uh, the highs and lows of war. It was, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it worked for me. And I, um, why do you think, why do you think he was, what do you think he was overcompensating for? I mean, perhaps the easy answer is just uh, to, to keep family close to him, to keep his new family close to him. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where, let's explore that, that manliness in him. I mean, clearly that was a choice there, maybe by the author of the book um, to portray this child as being very 
uh, manly for being that young. Like he was eager to prove himself. He was eager to be like his, you know, these other uh, officers that you mentioned, like being willing to, to, to die. I, I had the sense that it was a suicide mission, a subconscious suicide mission that, that he, that his whole family was murdered yeah, and, and that subconsciously he wanted to go, go be with them again. Yeah. And I certainly wouldn't disagree with it. It would, it would uh, then, cause I, this is a movie I'd go back and review. And did I miss something where he wants to return to, I mean, obviously there are moments captured in the film where he wants to, he wants to be near his mother and, and does he realize that uh, heading back to the Fritzes? I just love that. Is this a Fritz? Is that a Fritz? Um, and in, you know, and sort of uh, inculcating himself in that world and trying to be a scout again and report back that maybe this is his last attempt. That um, if I die in this process, then that's what it is. But uh, uh, you know, this is it, it's interesting because it it is the. Yeah, you got me stuck on Tarkovsky. I watched his his student project, um, you know, Steamroller and the Violin, and there's a reference to that in in that in that short forty five minute movie, um, where we uh, the gentleman operating the steamroller looks to the little boy and says, "Yes, I was a patriot at one time. I was just a few years older than you." And the boy is clearly like eleven or twelve. So here was someone on the Russian front um, at the you know very tender age of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, but they were doing it for love of country. Now he, of course, survived, and and uh, Ivan did not. But uh, that, uh, to me, just drove home the the mother country. That you know, so there there could be something e even deeper in you know, my mother is gone. There is the mother country is the last thing left. I have to move forward. That is what I what I have to do, um, and then and that's what he does. And it's uh, you know, it's really compelling. It's like because there is a part of me that wonders if. You know, if I were around in the 60s, would I be heading to Canada or heading over to Vietnam? I don't know. Um, but I can understand those that volunteer for war and the ones who want to see it through and carry what they believe is uh, uh, the right effort in the war process. I think you hit it on their head there, Paul. I think it's it's there is this loss of innocence in him. And. I mean, they even go into it despite, you know, in, in the kind of slow and methodical way, way they do it. The Bondarevs, uh, he only had his mother at that point because his father went off to fight and died. And much like a lot of people in that time where they, you know, were heavily emasculated because of the previous war, you know, they lost their 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 paternal uh people because all the fathers went to fight so he had to become a man even before he was fighting because he had to protect his mother he had to be that person and he probably views himself as a coward because he hid in the well when his mother was shot like great and so great, i think this uh, this what start sorry so i was gonna say that dream sequence is in, insanely cool too with the well. oh it's amazing looking up, looking up the well really yeah. cool yeah uh keep going chris but his his fanaticism, I think, is his own is his own making. I don't think it's necessarily suicidal, but he has nothing left. He has to be this person. He has to kill all the Fritzes. And it's he, he's even they bring it up when they show the engraving. It's like, oh, Fritz doesn't make art. It's like you don't even know, dude. He has a child's brain in war. They are bad. They must be monsters. They can't produce art. They're you know irredeemable, and that's. Unfortunately, 
uh, w- was the thought of a lot of people. How do how do you get uh, people to kill people? You do you you make the enemy less than human. You make them so far gone, and they don't have to do that with Ivan because they killed his mother. You know the the biggest force in the world to want to kill somebody is like you you, you killed my mother, and he goes and you get to see because obviously all these adults they know the the plight of communism of like you know everything is to advance yourself and to get as close as you can to the ruling class because otherwise you're going to be sitting in, in a bread line for four months and so the lieutenant and everything like calm down like go to boarding school like take, take care he's like no there are people that are going to be killed and i want to be right there because i want to be where the action is i don't want to be another cog in the machine so Ivan's mm. Ivan's eventual downfall is that he believes in it too much. And I think if they had leaned into that more, it would have been a nine fun, nine for me. You, you know, you make a great point because because now that I, you know, Yoshi, thanks again for sending me down the Starkovsky trail because, you know, he had many call outs about his own movie. And it's interesting because I, I am now going to find out what those call outs were. And I can say that if he at some point decided to what feminize Ivan. Like there's a scene that, and of course uh, there, the, there's four, the four of them are in uh, the, what the, you know, their all-terrain vehicle and they're moving in. Ivan is crying. And I go, and what was the reason for him to, for him to cry in that moment? And I thought, hmm, interesting, because if he is this voice of authority or seeming authority and throughout among all of these men, was there a need for him to be, was there a need for that emotionalism in that moment? Um, because yeah, there are some, there are some things about the movie I did not like. Um, but you know, the, the storytelling is what grabbed me. Well, I mean, his, his crying is because without a family, he's, he's, he's decided that this is now his family, the, these officers, these soldiers, and now they want to send him to military school. So it's mm-hmm. like he's losing a family for the second time. So I, I think it, it, it makes sense that he would be be emotional that he he's again going to have to um, try to find a new family. Um, and and the, pos- the, the chances of that happening at military school are probably pretty slim. Um, <clears throat> I want to also mention the dream sequence, which we've already touched on with the negative sky. But that that whole uh, dream sequence of him in the back of the truck, and then it goes to the beach, and the horses bite into the apples. Mm. Um, again, like beautiful stuff. Uh, really, really compelling imagery. Um, and I I really look forward to bring Stalker on on next. And I'm happy. I'm very delighted to see that Paul and Chris, uh, even with Ivan's childhood, are already impressed with Tarkovsky. So that's a good sign. Um, any closing statements from anyone? Stuck. Good. Yeah. Okay. 